So if you have your Bibles today and you want to follow along, we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. Let me say this to you this morning. Have you ever heard the phrase that everything comes at a price? Who's all heard that phrase before? Anybody ever heard that? Everything comes at a price, no matter what it is. If you go to the supermarket to buy groceries, guess what? When you get up there to check out, it's going to come at a price, isn't it? If you go down to fill your tank up with gas this afternoon, that's going to come at a price. If you bargain to buy a new automobile, after all the haggling is done, and there's a lot when you're buying a car, you go back and forth a few times, it's going to come at a price. Amen? When you choose entertainment over paying your bills, it's going to come at a price. Maybe your electricity will be turned off. You see, life decisions require something from us. I'm going to say it again. Life decisions require something from us. Today I want to talk with you about when you choose the behavior, you choose the consequence. When you choose the behavior, you choose the consequence. You have heard me say time and time again, with every decision comes a consequence, be it good or be it bad. If you go out and you rob a bank, guess what? You're going to go to jail. That's the consequence. If you treat others bad, it will come back on you. If you lie, steal, and cheat, eventually you're going to have to pay the Pied Piper. You see, we really don't get away with bad behavior. We may think that we do, but life has a way of bringing everything full circle. It just has a way of doing that. Now, you probably wouldn't have guessed this of me, but I am a huge fan of forensic science. I love forensic science, and I love to watch the forensic files, and I'm absolutely amazed at how science has laid everything down So here we go. 
This story is about one of our heroes, our hero named David. Do you remember David was a little boy who slew the giant with his five little pebbles, how he, he hit the giant and, and the giant came tumbling down? And you remember David who became king of Israel? Bible tells us that David was a man after God's own heart. But let me say this to you. David made some very, very bad decisions in his life. When he chose his behavior, at that very moment, he also chose the consequence. Let me refresh your memory with our story today. As I said, I'm going to be paraphrasing this so you can follow along in uh, 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. But I would encourage you to go home and read this story in its entirety. That's your assignment. Our story begins by telling us that it was in the springtime when kings were going off to war. And David makes his first bad decision by choosing not to go to war. Instead, he sent Joab. Now, Joab was head of David's military, and some of you may not know, but Joab was also the nephew of King David. Joab uh, was the son of David's sister. Are we switching again? Was the son of David's sister. So David trusted Joab. And so he sends him out to battle with the men, and he decides that he's going to stay home. Well, the Bible tells us it was in the springtime, and so we know springtime is a beautiful, beautiful season. Stars are in the sky probably, and, and the wind's blowing gently, and David decides to walk out on the roof of the palace. And he's out there walking around, and, and if you live back in those times, all of these houses had these rooftop palace uh, rooftops in their homes and so he looks out and he sees this beautiful woman and she's bathing over there on that rooftop and so David immediately sends someone to inquire of her and they come back and they say King David she's a married woman her husband has gone off to battle and uh, that should have been in the story right David said he should have just left it alone But David now makes decision number two that is very bad. He sends for her to come to the palace. Now remember, he's the king. Here this woman gets a knock on her door and says, you've been invited by the king to come to the palace. So she goes to the palace, and decision number three is getting ready to be made. David sleeps with her. Now, you think that would be all of the story, but it's not so. What happens next, folks, becomes just a tale, a web of lies, a web of deceit, of what David does. Let me say this to you this morning. If you are single and someone is pressuring you to have sex, say no. If you are married and someone is pressuring you to have sex other than your spouse, say no. No, because that type of relationship, folks, I'm telling you, is going to go nowhere. It will only leave you feeling in a state of low self-esteem. God created you for so much more. 
You are precious in his sight, and he has a plan for your life. And let me say to you, don't sabotage God's plan by your own bad decisions. Sex without marriage can cost you dearly in many, many ways. You can get an unwanted pregnancy, STDs, self-esteem problems, etc., etc., etc. The list goes on and on. And you see, neither party here considered the results of their bad decision. This was supposed to not end this way. But that's exactly what sin does to us. It's fun for a while, but eventually gets one trapped. Now, the woman's name is Bathsheba. Have you ever heard that name before? David and Bathsheba. And now, with her one-night stand, she finds out she's pregnant. So this time, she sends a message to the king announcing, David, you're going to be a father. Well, one bad choice always leads to two, three, and four. David decides he has to get himself out of this situation. After all, he is a king, and this isn't going to look very good on his resume. So David requests that Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, be brought to him. You see, church, he now has to come up with a plan to get himself out of the situation that he's gotten himself into. Remember what I said? When you choose the behavior, you choose the consequence. So he sent for Uriah to come. I want to say that the Bible says that above all things, a man's heart is deceitful. And sometimes it can even be a man after God's own heart. And in this case, it was David. This is a bad plan. This is a bad scheme. You know, David is a backstabbing lowlife with the plan that he devises. And he does it in this attitude that this is an act of kindness. That's what he's trying to relay to Uriah. Because they go out to the battlefield where Uriah's at and they say, hey, the king wants to see you. And they take him away from all of his men and, and take him in there to the palace. And he, he reports to King David. And King David just simply says, you know, Uriah, you've been out on the battlefield for a while. And I just thought it might be nice if, if you went home and, and was with your wife for a couple of days. And, and then you can go back out to the battlefield. Now, see, he did this trying to make Uriah think that he was being really nice. He didn't really tell the motive behind why he was doing this. That's why I say David is a lowlife trying to do this. And folks, let me say to you, guard your heart and don't fall for everything that seems good because evil can be packaged in a beautiful box with a beautiful ribbon on top. We must become aware of the devil's evil schemes. Amen? You have to pray constantly and consistently that the Lord will give you a spirit of discernment. So David tells Uriah, he says, take time off, go home, be with your wife for a couple of days. But you know what? Uriah had a lot more character than King David because Uriah didn't go home. You know what he did? The Bible says that he slept at the entrance to the palace with all of David's servants. 
Well, David hears about this the next morning, and of course he's displeased. He's displeased about it. His little plan is falling apart, and so he realizes that he's got to try to conjure up something else to get Uriah to go home. So he now orchestrates another plan, and he decides to confront Uriah himself. So he calls for Uriah, and, and now he says, I, Uriah, I want you to come, and I want you to feast with me tonight. But in the back of David's mind, this is not a good thing for Uriah. David here again is scheming and planning, and that's what sin will do. And he's going to bring Uriah in there, and he says, I'm going to feed him, and I'm going to get him drunk. And when I get him drunk, he will go home, and he will lay with his wife, and, and then I can say the baby is theirs, and, and everything will be okay. So Uriah comes, and they have dinner together, and David gets him drunk, just as he planned to do. But what didn't happen was this. Again, Uriah didn't go home. The Bible says he stayed at the palace. Well, David now realizes that Uriah, being a faithful servant, isn't going to desert his men. So he now decides to make a very fatal decision. He sends a letter to Joab. And he tells him to put Uriah in the front where the fighting is the worst. But then he goes a step further. He tells Joab, he says, when you put Uriah up front, withdraw all the troop so that when they come in, the Ammonites come in against you, Uriah will be hit, he will be struck down, and he will die. What do you think about that, folks? Here's an innocent man, not even realizing his life is being targeted like this. Wow, this is the ultimate sin, right? Taking someone else's life. But folks, the story doesn't end here. If David thought that this sin become a hidden sin, he was just fooling himself. Because the truth is, the Bible tells us, be sure your sins will find you out. Amen or oh me. Man tries to have secret sins, but ultimately they become exposed. And when they do, the consequences can become overwhelming. I personally don't believe that there's any such thing as secret sin because we have an all-knowing God. I mean, you, you can hide it from me. You can fool me. You can fool one another in here. But let me tell you, we will never fool the great I am. We will never fool God. God has an all-seeing eye. God is the one that keeps the records. God knows everything that's going on in your life from A to Z right now. You know, the truth is this. God even knows what you're going to have for lunch today. You may not know yet, but God already knows. Amen. We have an all-knowing God. And perhaps we can deceive others. But you will never deceive God. And eventually, your sin will become exposed. Why is that? Let me tell you the reason that God wants to bring exposure to hidden sin. It's not that God 
wants to bring you down. It's not that God is some tyrant up there with a big whip wanting to hit you. No, God wants to have the secret sin exposed because he is a righteous God. He is a holy God and he is a just God. And he knows if he lets you continue down that path that you will be lost and go to hell and won't spend So it's because of the love that he has for you that he wants to make sure that the secret sin of the heart is revealed. And so all goes as David planned. Uriah's put in the front, the battle rages, and you guessed it, Uriah is killed in the story. Not quite. Nope, not quite. Think about what James tells us in the first chapter, verse 14 through 16. Listen to this. James says, but each one is tempted by his own evil desire. Boy, does that not fit David. He was tempted by his own evil desire when he seen Bathsheba up there bathing on that rooftop. He says, then he's dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Well, after the time of mourning, Uriah, I guess David decides that, yeah, he needs to be a gentleman in all of this. So he takes it a step further. You know, you got to remember that David had many wives, so adding Bathsheba on as a wife is not that big a deal. So he brings Bathsheba to the palace. He marries her, and she has a son. You see, folks, David thought he had destroyed all of the evidence. He thought there was no way to be found out. But God knows everything. The Bible clearly states here in verse 27 of chapter 11, the thing David had done displeased the Lord. The thing David had done displeased the Lord. Perhaps you think, Okay, so this is the end of the story. David and Bathsheba get married. They have a son. They ride off into the sunset, and everything is happy thereafter. Not so, because let me say this to you. God is very, very big into accountability. Amen? God is very, very big into accountability. Now God comes up with his own plan. Before David was doing all the planning and all of the scheming, now God up with his own plan to confront David about what he has done. And so the Lord sends the prophet Nathan to David. Now stay with me. Keep in mind that David is the king. He's supposed to be very good at problem solving. So Nathan presents a problem to David. Here it is. Listen. So Nathan comes, he says to David, and I'm reading from the 12th chapter of 2 Samuel, verse 1. This is the problem. There were two men in a town, one rich and the other poor. I suppose this could symbolize Nathan and Uriah. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle. But the poor man, he had nothing except one little lamb that he had bought. He had raised that little lamb. It had grew up with him and his children. He shared his food and drank from his cup, and the little lamb even slept in his arms. Why, it was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man. 
But the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or one of his own cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, you know what he did? He went over and he got the one little lamb that belonged to the poor man. He killed that little lamb and he prepared it for the traveler. Well, the Bible says that when David heard this, that David burned with anger against the man. And so he said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. Let me just say, be careful when you pass judgment. You just might be pointing four fingers right back at yourself. Amen. He goes on to say he must pay for that little lamb four times over because he did such a thing and he had no pity. And then the shocker, folks. Listen, this is a shocker. The prophet Nathan, with his bony finger, walks up to David. He sticks his bony finger in David's chest, and he says, You are the man. Whoa. Can you imagine how David must have felt at that moment? Here he had been found out of all the evil that he had orchestrated. Church, we can't leave the story hanging here. I have to finish it for us. So listen up. I'm reading out a second Samuel again, starting at verse 7. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Now this is God bringing his judgment. This is God speaking. Remember what I said back there a little while ago, that God is real big into accountability? God's got a very good memory, let me tell you. God never has a memory lapse. He says, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if all of this, he says, if all of this had been too little, I would have given you even more. And then he asks the big question. He goes, why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? He says, you struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and you took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house. Because you despised me and you took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity upon you. You see, folks, (laughs) maybe you didn't realize this, but we can put blessings or curses upon our lives by the decisions we make. He says, before your very eyes... I will take your wives and I will give them to one who is close to you. And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. He says, David, you did all of that in secret, but I'm going to do this thing in broad daylight all before Israel. You talk about humiliation. Wow. Then David said to Nathan, and I'm sure David had the most repentant heart, that a man could possibly have. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. Well, I have to say, at least he was a big enough man to stand up and admit his guilt. 
He didn't continue to try to skirt around it. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. In other, Lord, in other words, the Lord has forgiven you. You are not going to die. But because by doing this, you have made the enemies of the Lord show their contempt. And then Nathan delivers the worst verdict to David's ears. He says this, the baby son born to you will die. Wow, just gave me chills. Sin comes at a price, folks. And sometimes that price is very, very high. If you continue reading this story, you see that God carried out his word. God carried out his judgment because God is a just God and God is big into accountability. David went before the Lord and he wrestled with him. He fasted. He prayed. He wouldn't eat anything and he begged the Lord not to take his son. But just as God said, the son died. Sin cost us greatly, folks. Sometimes more than we're willing to pay. I'm sure David was overcome with grief at losing his baby son because of his own arrogance and his own evil ways and because of his master manipulation plan. When this all started, David probably had no intention of marrying Bathsheba. He had no intention of continuing an idolatrous relationship. He only wanted to fulfill the flesh with a one-night stand. Sin always has a price. And you think, well, I won't get caught up in this. Oh, all it takes is one time. And your life can be destroyed. Sin has a sneaky way of compounding itself. And before you know it, you're more deeply involved in it than you ever thought you would be. That is why it's absolutely essential, folks, to not give in to the temptation. You cannot control the course of your destiny once you allow yourself to begin to flirt with sin. And that's exactly what David was doing. He flirted with sin. And look where it ended up. I'm here to say to you this morning that sin will capture you. It will ensnare you. And ultimately, it will destroy you. Sin always snowballs. Sin is not stagnant. It is not static. Sin grows. Look at the progression of sin in our story today. It started by David standing on a rooftop on a beautiful spring evening, looking out and seeing a beautiful woman, and then telling himself that he just had to have her. And I know that it was his intention that this was never going to go this far. Folks, sin 
never just affects one person. <laughs> if you think, hey, this is just all about me, I'm not going to hurt anybody else with what I'm doing, you are so badly mistaken. Because sin never affects just one person. You know, the whole sad thing about this story is that David, David was the one who killed giants, and now this giant is killing him. Think about it. You've heard me say many times from this pulpit that sin will take you further than you want to go. It will cost more than you're willing to pay and have you stay longer than you want to stay. The good news is this. Jesus never, never closes his heart off to any of us. No matter what we've done, look at David. Look at this story that I've just told you. You would think, oh my goodness, God would cast him away and he would never be able to stand in the presence of God again. But not so. Because David had a repentant heart, it is recorded in the scripture that David was a man after God's own heart. Because God is the author of second chances, third chances, whatever it takes. Amen. God loves us that much. So no matter what we've done, God always is standing there with his arms open wide to embrace you, to say, daughter, son, I love you. You know, I said that God is big into accountability. But the truth is this. He's also big in forgiveness. Aren't you thankful for that? He's also big in forgiveness. I'm so grateful that we serve a God who loves us irregardless of the circumstances or the situations that we get ourselves into. And you know, the truth of it is, folks, we bring all of it upon ourselves just by the poor decisions that we make, by the bad decisions that we make. And oftentimes, those decisions come because we're selfish. Man is selfish. And we want what we want when we want it, don't we? We don't want to wait. You know, you look at the story, and you think, why, David? Why would you do that? I mean, you know, the scripture I read this morning states that God had already given David all of his masters, which would have been Saul, all of his wives. He had women at his disposal. So why would he just look up on a rooftop, see a beautiful woman, and think, ah, oh, I've got to have her? Lust in a man's heart. It gets there. But the truth is this. The enemy knows every one of our weaknesses in this room today. I mean he knows them. Yours might not be a lustful heart. Yours may be something else. But the enemy knows what that is. And he's going to put that temptation in front of you. He might not tempt you with somebody else's husband or wife because he knows that's not where you're tempted. 
but he might tempt you somewhere else, maybe at work and your hand gets in the tilt and you take money that's not yours. Many people have embezzled money that isn't theirs and then tried to hide that sin for a long time. Or maybe it's not even big sin like that. Maybe it's just what we would call a smaller sin of just not treating one another with respect and kindness and gentleness. Or thinking we're better than others. When in reality, folks, my Bible tells me that we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And if you say you have not sinned, you lie. The Bible is very clear about that. Amen? So in essence, none of us in this room today are better than anybody else. But the truth is, today, we can all be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me for just a couple of minutes? I'm not going to keep you very long. I know it's 10 till 12. We've ran over a little bit today with everything that was on our agenda. But guys, you are greatest people on the face of the earth. I brag on you all the time. I, I wouldn't want to pastor any other church because I feel the flow. I feel the flow in here. of the Spirit of the Lord. I just want to say this today. If you have a hidden sin in your life and you've been struggling in that area for a long time, let me say today is a day of new beginnings for you. Today is a day to turn your life around and say, no more, Satan. Because you know what? When you hide some little sin away in your heart, it's going to eat on you like a cancer. And it's going to grow, and it's going to begin to uh, fest. And, and I tell you, it will destroy your life eventually. Today is a good day to say, God, I don't want any secrets. I don't want any secrets, God. I want to come clean, Lord. I want the slate to be clean, and, and I, I want to confess to you, God, and, and Lord, I want to start anew and afresh. And as I said, God is a God of second chances and third chances. God loves you, and he wants your very best. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to be productive. The Bible says that he has a plan for your life. But you know, in order for that plan to take place, we have to cooperate with God. And how do we cooperate with God? We cooperate with God by confessing our sin, inviting Jesus Christ to come into our heart, and giving it all to him. Saying, God, I can't do this thing called life anymore by myself. I need you Lord I need you more today than I did yesterday and let me tell you God will come and he will accept you into his kingdom as his child and your life will be on a different road if that describes you today and you would like for God to come into your situation and maybe perhaps take your mess and turn it into a miracle He's able to do that. 
But like I said, it takes your cooperation. So if that's you today, and I'm not going to embarrass anybody in here, that is never, never our intent. Our intent is to just get you into the arms of Jesus so that he can love on you. But if you just simply raise your hand and put it right back down so that we would know to pray for you, so that you can continue going down the path that God wants you to go down. Anybody at all, anybody at all, have anything at all that you feel like you just can't handle by yourself, that you need God's help with what you're walking through. He's here to extend that help to you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. This is your day. This is your opportunity to make things right between you and God. Don't be ashamed and don't be embarrassed to say, Pastor, that's me. That's me. I want to turn over a new leaf. I want a new beginning. I want to follow Jesus. My life's been kind of in a mess, but today I want to change all of that by partnering with God. If that's you, just slip your hand up and we will pray for you today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, I believe that you are in this house today and I believe that you are walking in and out of these pews and I believe that you are speaking to hearts and lives. And God, maybe there are folks here that Lord just can't quite get up the nerve to raise that hand but God you know where they're at you know where they're seated God and you know their heart God and you know what they're walking through and so Lord we pray for them today we pray Holy Spirit that your love will embrace them we pray God that they will cry out to you and that Lord today will be a new beginning in their life because they will choose to follow after you and embrace the plan that you have for them. God, we thank you. We thank you, God, because we know that we are a privileged people, Lord, that you love us so much that you gave your son Jesus to die for our sin. And Lord, may we never take that for granted, Lord. May we always understand, God, that no matter how far away we stray, that, God, we can never, never get too far from you, that you won't reach out your hand and pull us back in. We're so grateful that you're the God of second chances, third chances, however many it may take, Lord, that you're always there with your arms extended and with your love to receive us. We're so grateful for that. Would you stand with me, church? All names worthy of all praise, and my heart will sing how great is our God. Let's sing that again. Name above, you're the name. 
live above all Now while you're singing very softly, it was pointed out to me that I forgot the offering. And I think God does this intentionally from time to time because offering is just as much a part of worship as standing here singing, How Big Is Our God? If we serve a big God, let's be faithful to give to Him. Amen? Amen. So you can continue singing, and I'm just going to have Brother Walt take the offering plate, pass it amongst you, and I want you to give as unto the Lord today. If God's blessed you, if God's helped you in any way, here, brother, then let's give back to God. Thank you. How great is our God. Let's sing that name above all names again. You're the name above all names. Worthy of all praise. And my heart will sing how great is our God. Now let's just sing. How great is our God, how great is our God, sing with me, how great is our God, all will sing, how great, how great. Father, no matter how bad that we act, no matter what the sin is, you will forgive us. You will chastise us, but you will forgive us, and we are so thankful for that. Father, I pray a blessing upon each one of us that have been here today, and that you're glory would shine on us and as we would enter in to the harvest field that people would look at us and know that we are Christians by our love and that we will be testimonies to your glory and to your grace in Jesus name amen God bless you as you go is our God with me, how great is our God, all will sing, how great, how great is our God, how great our God, how great our God, how great, how great is 
Great is our God.